Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest is a Dubliner, perhaps best known as a best-selling author, but she's also had a distinguished career in journalism, both in print and broadcasting, and was also an Abbey actress. It's a pleasure to welcome Deirdre Purcell. What a wonderfully varied life, Deirdre. <laughs> you don't know the half of it, <laughs> Probably just as well, maybe. Was, was acting your ambition? It wasn't your first job, was it? No, my I had no ambitions of any kind, to tell you the truth. I never did. I was never... I've had a really terrifically lucky life, uh, bouncing from one thing to another. But I started off, uh, as most people of my generation did, in the civil service. T- uh, 20... wasn't even 20 days, I think 14 days after I finished my leaving. Wow. Yeah. And um, what department were you in? I was in the Oral Irish Department of the Civil Service Commission. Um, Get that. What, what did you do? I, I actually, I addressed envelopes in Irish for six months and nearly went demented with just boredom. Yeah. So you were keen. So where did you move to then? I moved to Aer Lingus, which was an absolute delight. It was early days in Aer Lingus. It was 1962 or three, three, I think. And uh, we, like Erlingus was like a startup at that stage. The ambition, we were all very young, and the ambition was that Erlingus was going to be the best airline in the world. And everyone bought into it from the cleaners up to ourselves, who were lowly grade fours, right up to the top. It was all just a fun. I love startups, I love that whole kind of thrust together to be uh, the best ever, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. The energy and the excitement. Yeah, yeah. Did you get to travel with that job? Not with the job. Um, but through, I got, through I got the job, the, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. got the free travel. <laughs> <laughs> the 10%, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And where, had you, had you been abroad before? No, no. Um, my first trip was with a colleague about seven months after I joined to Athens. Um, and I just couldn't believe that I was in Athens. And uh, I gave her a lot of trouble. I kept vanishing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you go. There we go. That's one of the ones we won't talk about too much. No, uh, no. So to move from Aer Lingus to the Abbey seems an unusual move. So how did that come about? Well, it was... Um, like it's very well rehearsed and I don't want to bore your listeners to death with this story again. But what happened was I, w- I joined the Erlingus Musical and Dramatic Society for kind of the fun of it. They were wonderful people in it and they were really great crack. And uh, we had great time rehearsing and so forth. But it turned out I was quite a good actress. And uh, But I was working with a really, really good actor called uh, Terry Martin a man who who wanted to be a professional actor and he wanted he he secured a uh, an audition with the abbey with the famous Ernest Blythe and uh, but he thought that his best 
scenes that showed him off best were the ones, love scenes that he had done with me. And so he asked me, would I go along to his audition? And of course I did. Of course I did. And the thing about acting is that uh, the job for an actor on stage is to change the expression in another actor's eyes. So I was acting my socks off for him. You know, I wasn't yeah. the slightest bit, slightest bit interested or um, certainly not nervous. I was trying to make him the, look the best he could. And um, lo and behold, that night I got a call asking me to, job, to join the Abbey Acting Company. Well, and did he get the call? Unfortunately, no. Oh, the poor no. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, always, I always felt very bad about that, actually. Well, it was uh, maybe my Irish, maybe my Irish was better. You had to have Irish at that stage. Yeah. So that was a big decision to make. Then, if you're, you you were clearly happy where you were. Oh, I loved Lingus. Lingus was probably one of the happiest jobs I ever had. But um, I don't know. My if my father, I only had twenty four hours to make up my mind because I had to open the following Monday. Oh my god! In the show, and uh, so, and I, my father was a civil servant and. By all accounts, by everybody would have thought that he's very conservative. But he did say to me that evening, look, if I'd had that opportunity when I was your age, I would have grabbed it. Yeah. So I said, well, if he feels that, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> so I, so I, I took it and off I went. Great. And missed the first rehearsal, by the way. <laughs> Not a great start. We'll, no. We'll, we'll, we'll chat about that in a moment. Deirdre Purcell, I'm dying to find out about your first musical choice. I have in front of me the Kilfenora Cayley band Smooth Criminal. That's, That's right. Michael Jackson's song. Yeah. Um, it's, I found it actually, uh, I'll, I'll explain how it arose. It arose because I'm going back to my school days and I went to a, a gorgeous uh, small boarding school called Gartner Abbey in Cross Malina in County Mayo. I got a scholarship there. So um, not knowing anything about Mayo or the country or anything, I landed there in 1958. And uh, I I loved it. I actually loved it. The, the scenery around it. it was on the shores of Loch Conn, looking over at Neffin and all of that kind of thing. It was lovely. Mm -hmm. And I was a dub and I'd never been in the country, really. <laughs> and uh, the Kilfenora Cayley Band was the attraction every evening at what we called recreation. After tea, there was a half an hour of recreation where we all danced together, of course, because mm. it's a girls' school, and the nun played records. And she was very fond of the Kilfenora Cayley Band. So um, I, it, it brings me back to an absolutely extraordinarily interesting and very, very creative part of my life. Um, I had been in, in a primary school in right in the middle of Dublin and I was very, very unhappy there. Very unhappy. I was bullied. Mm. And uh, getting into Gartner Abbey was like, I've always said, it was like landing on a smooth lake coming out of a really dark mountain. It was just gorgeous. Wow. And the nuns were lovely. Um, they were French Order, the Mothers of Jesus and Mary. And uh, it was a very small school. There were only 11 in my class. And it was just lovely. So I have great, great, like now the resources weren't there, put it that way. Um, and the uniforms were very scratchy and were never cleaned. So um, there were some things that weren't great. But, and the food was um, based on the quite a low payment for the pupils. So it was, um, 
food wasn't brilliant mm. either. We had kind of potatoes twice, porridge in the mornings and potatoes for dinner and tea. So it wasn't really terrific, but they they couldn't have been nicer now. And I, I made kind of lifelong friends there. So uh, every every night we'd dance to the Kilfenora Kelly Band. And I, when I was looking it up to see what I would play from Kilfenora, I discovered this actually. Uh, it was on, uh, they they did it on the Late Late Show, yeah. apparently, yeah. With, with the two dancers in white suits and white fedoras. And uh, they did the lean-in and everything, the Jackson lean-in. It, yeah. It's a terrific, if anybody wants to get it. It's, I couldn't figure out what year it was. I think it was maybe about five or six years ago. But it was really terrific. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's the Kilfenora Cayley Band there, the choice of today's guest, Deirdre Purcell. So Deirdre, you're now an actress. Was um, was it nerve-wracking? You weren't nervous for your audition. Was it nerve-wracking, your first professional performance? It certainly was. <laughs> it certainly was. Uh Again, um, I immediately got into sort of trouble with one of the directors who didn't, who was very upset that I had been parachuted straight into the company and not through the school, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he kind of made my life pretty tough, I have to say. I won't go into detail about it, but he, let's say he just didn't like me mm-hmm. at all. So I had a quite a bit of difficulty but the it was an amazing group of people that I got to work with absolutely fantastic all of the really really seriously brilliant actors of that era and remember it was kind of like the civil service of the theatre at the time you got paid whether you were cast or not Oh, did you? And, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But like, it was a marvelous kind of opportunity to just sit and enjoy and watch these really, really champions of the of the of the acting world. So, jazz. Um, drop drop a few names actors. there. Drop a few names. Yeah. Well, there was uh, Donald McCann, uh, Stephen Ray, Des Cave, Clive Garrity. Aidan O'Kelly, Philip O'Flynn, Angela Newman. You know, I mean, mm. they were really now the elite of, of, of acting company. Um, and there'd be guest, guest people to like uh, Siobhan McKenna and people like that. So yeah. it was a great, great training watching situation. Was, I loved it. But then you changed again. <laughs> head of I a, did, Head yeah. of journalism. No, I didn't. I had a first for America. Um, I was asked by a passing priest who was at the Abbey one night, uh, would I become his first European theatre artist in a new European theatre company that he was starting in Loyola University in Chicago. And I kind of, you know, I said, well, why not? So I did. And I went off to America. God, you were a, you were a daredevil in terms of you, you were never worried. You were never, I can understand why you go, but you weren't worried about. I need to mind this job, or it's a, no good for you. No, I, it, it isn't part of my uh, my makeup actually. No, it's, my it's, my only thing is that uh, if I get a challenge, which I have done, thank God, all my life. Um, I kind of do a little, a very small recce, and see. If I think I might have a 50% chance of doing this if it was interesting and I was interested. And uh, thank God that happened throughout most of my life. 
away. The Beatles was your second musical choice, Deirdre. That's to do with America, actually. It's to do with Chicago. I arrived in Chicago in September 1968 when the riots were going on, the Democratic Convention and all of that. And all over the world, really, the students were in revolt, particularly in places like France. But the Loyola at that time was a very conservative university. And uh, again, it was extremely interesting. All I had to do, I got a full scholarship to the university. And all I had to do was be uh, be there for the other actors, for the other student actors, and to, and, and pay, play the best parts in every, <laughs> in every show. So, I mean, it was just wonderful. We did some wonderful shows. And, um, and they had a state-of-the-art theatre, much better than the Abbey. I mean, it was really, really, in terms of resources and lightings and everything that they had, it was really great. So um, I arrived just as the Beatles were ca- catching hold in America. Mm-hmm. Like they, we were students, conservative students. During these riots, we paraded around the quadrangle in, in front of Loyola with, with a banner saying, "Father Maguire, go to your room." <laughs> That's a bit like that the... was our revolt. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what does it mean? Uh, go to your room is a thing that you know. You know what "go to your room" yeah, means. Yeah. But Father Maguire was the chairman of of uh, it was the Jesuit University. Right. So, um, poor man, God love him. But anyhow, um, the the one I've chosen, I mean, my favourite, one of my favourite albums of all time is Father is uh, Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. And the last one on that is A Day in the Life. And that is really, it's like, it, it is so profound. It really is. Not just the lyrics and not just Lennon McCartney and not just all that they were doing at that time. But it is... Um, Musically, it is just extraordinary. Like, I'm kind of into music. I did music for my leaving. I've, I used to play the piano and the cello and stuff like that. So I love music. And when I was t- trying to pick out something for this show, I thought I'd probably do something classical because I really listen to a lot of classical music. But then I, I just realised, I remembered this, and I remembered how you would sit around in, like, from jumping around to pop music and everything... You would sit around at this and you would listen. You would just listen and admire and discuss the lyrics afterwards. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary piece of work. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's A Day in the Life from the Beatles, from the Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the choice of today's guest, Deirdre Purcell. So that reminds you of America. And then back to Ireland... More career change. Yeah, well, I um, I was really qualified for nothing except my leaving cert, you know. And at that stage, I got back in 1973 and it was just beginning to be the era where you needed a degree for to apply for any kind of a decent job. Mm-hmm. And I had no degrees, I had no qualifications, I had nothing. So I, um, but I knew... I knew I could do auditions and RTE or Radio Erin as it was then we were in we were in uh, Henry Street down by the GPO there Mm. in the GPO yeah and uh, so I knew I could had a a chance at an audition for radio announcer which was the one it was a public a public public competition so I went and did the audition and got into announcing got into radio announcing and um RTE, I mean, I'm terribly loyal to RTE. Like RTE has be- did become on and off my life 
even though I had big, big, long chunks of time when I wasn't there. But I, even at that stage, it was the kind of place where if you got your foot under the table, you could move sideways if you, you know, if you want to, if you got bored and you wanted to change or whatever like that. And I always, I was always that type of person. So I, I was an announcer with very, very uh, interesting people like uh, Catherine Hogan, Trassa Davison, uh, Pat Kenny, all of those people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but after about maybe two years of it, I think, I I was getting a little bit bored. But out of the blue, I was I saw an ad, an internal ad to become a, a newsreader. And it was internal, this one. Yeah. So I decided to apply for that and I got that. And it, it moved on from there. I spent nine years during that period in RT mm. and became a news anchor and stuff like that. And then a very successful switch, Deirdre, for you to, to print media. Yes, Um yeah, I, like the, the, before the print media, before the novels, um, I started doing interviews with people. I was recruited by Keen O'Hegarty, a colleague, another colleague who was uh, doing some work uh, for the first iteration of the Sunday Tribune. Mm-hmm. And he knew I'd been an actor. He he figured I might be able to write. So he... Um, he asked me to do a series of six interviews with actors because I would know, the, I, like I would know the, the, sure. the thing inside yeah. out. So he, I, I did it again on condition that uh, if they were an absolute disaster, he didn't have to tell anybody. <laughs> he wouldn't tell anybody, right? Yeah. So they turned out okay, but then that that iteration of the Sunday Tribune collapsed, and a man called Michael Keane. Uh, from the Sunday Press, mm-hmm. or the, he was on the Daily Press actually. He asked me, "Would I do a series of uh, interviews for that?" And then out of the blue, um, I got a call from Vincent Brown that he was setting up the new Sunday Tribune, and would I go to work there? So I did. And you, you had many famous interviews and profile. Who, who was the most interesting person you interviewed? I know that's a big question, but it's a huge question, yeah. and I am asked it a lot. And Sometimes the most interesting people weren't the ones you'd th- you'd believe were. Yeah. Like I remember, uh, well, Gary Hart, the one one time person who was the a candidate in America. Runner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He he was fascinating. He really was. I'd, I learned more from him that night. I was with him until four o'clock in the morning, and I learned more about um, American, just the inside of American politics than I had known from living in America. It was really very interesting. And he was terrific. It really was. And what and did, did um, what what was it that made it so interesting? Did did he reveal how ugly it did. is or he revealed an awful lot of stuff and he, he he told me a lot of stuff that I still have in my mind which might come up at some time in a novel. I don't know. Just some stuff no. that uh you know the the egotism and the egoism of these people who believe that they can, for instance, outrun the Times, mm-hmm. the Washington Post and the, and the New York Times. And they can't. They can't. And so they, they shouldn't try, really. That, that was the major lesson I got, because he tried and failed. <laughs> but uh, he was a very interesting person. Mm-hmm. But, like, you don't... Like, I interviewed Jeffrey Archer when he was in trouble with all kinds of things. Yeah. And people... All over journalism, we said, "Why are you you interviewing him?" You know, he turned out to be fascinating because I discovered that if you listen to people well, 
you will really get great interviews. If you listen well, not just pretending to listen and not just in, you know, trying to put your own views or yeah. your preconceived notions. If you just listen, you'll get a great interview. You were writing the books then, which became so successful, so many of the novels. Yeah. Uh, again, I was <laughs> the lucky fairy struck again. Um a publisher called Tracy Cody from Townhouse Publishing thought she discerned in my long interviews that I had a narrative skill. So she asked me, she commissioned me to write a novel. And But I did it on the same basis that I did with Keanu Hegarty. If, if, <laughs> it's uh, no good. <laughs> <laughs> or I give you, I'll, I'll try and come up with the plot and so you see what you think and if and you don't tell anybody I tried <laughs> okay so uh, she she did and it did work she lined me up with a terrific editor and a really interesting agent and so yeah, it, like it's all it's all due to her remember the name Trasicody yeah. so uh, yeah she, she started it all and Deirdre are they like children or have you a favourite one? No um, I don't um, I I I I think I know what my best one is, which is Love Like Hate a Door. That's back, oh, maybe maybe 12, 12, 12 years ago. But it's a much more serious book than most of the others I've written. I think a lot of my books do have quite a serious quotient in them. Um, it's, 20, it's more than 20 years ago, I think, Deirdre, am I right? But is, I mean, it, yeah, is it? Yeah. Well, I'm 90, uh, I have it in front of me, 97. I have in front of me. But was, it 90, was it 97? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It was the one after Falling for a Dancer, which was the most successful yes. one. And Falling for a Dancer, uh, people were expecting, that was my, Falling for a Dancer, my fifth book, and people were expecting the, more of the same. Yeah. But I didn't. I did something different. And uh, it kind of, it, it was nominated for the Orange Prize as it was then. It was shortlisted. Well. But, um I don't know. Anyway, it, that, that is my favourite book. Yeah. I think it's my best book. Yeah. And and so much success. Are, are, you write, are you writing a lot at the moment? No, unfortunately. I've damaged my shoulder and every time I try to write, it, it flares up again. Uh, when, when I had an accident and broke my collarbone, mm. but it also damaged all of the, the little connector things that connected oh. to the shoulder. So I'm taking I'm taking advantage of being cocooned, and uh, I'm no, I'm not writing at the moment. No, I'm sorry to hear about the injury, but your 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 final piece of music, dear Purcell, is it's epic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now this is the, this is a the, it's a serious piece of music. It's mm-hmm. I, and I know like it's too long. You're not going to be playing at all. It's. Um, the Adagio of Spartacus and Phrygia by Catechurian. Now, it sounds really, really, you know, formidable. And it is formidable. But it's a beautiful piece of music. And people uh, will know it as being the theme from the Oneidan line. And so everybody knows it from that. But I have a particular a particular uh, situation with this piece of music. I can't hear it without bursting into tears. And I hope to God I won't. But... Um, it was my mother's favourite piece of music and she she just loved it. She played it all the time on lyric and she ha- wasn't well for the last 10 years of her life and things went from bad to worse really and she was in hospital for a lot of years, in and out of hospital. So I got her a little radio, a lyric radio and she used to play it and anytime she used to search for it really and play it. But on the day she died, uh, she was in the matter 
and she was in a public ward in a six bedroom in the middle bed. And it was a it was a Saturday morning and all of the cleaners were in with buckets and laughing and everything all around it. And I could tell 